Welcome to the bonus episode of the Untitled Iffy, Drea, and Alonzo Project. Not only is this our bonus episode, but it is also the third part of our esteemed curated series, the Ife Chakude Collection. This is a series where I, Ife Chakude, search near and far for the finest and most prestigious films to discuss on this show, which is why we're talking about Eddie Murphy's only directorial credit, Harlem Nights. Grand opening, grand closing. Alonzo Duralde, how are you? I'm good. You're never picking the movies again, but uh, <laughs> I'm delighted to have guests from one of my favorite Max Fun shows joining us today, so that's going to be a hoot. I like that. I like that. Next up is Drea Clark. How are you? I'm good, and you pick movies from near, not far. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, because they are near and your, dear. Your interests are far-ranging. The things mm. close to your heart uh, mm. are, are, are real near. I yeah. love it. They're yeah. on a shelf within reach, let's say. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> always. You know, no, no, no deep cuts here. Uh, all, all shallow cuts. <laughs> if he's shallow cuts. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the king of that. The host of Fantai here on Maximum Fun, Travell Anderson, Jared Hill. How Woo. are y'all? Yay. Hello. Not hello. This is so I don't exciting. Know. I'm feeling myself today, so. Mm, um, okay. Ify, I, I get the feeling you're not good at saying your own name. Could you say it one more time? <laughs> Ife Chukude. I'm sorry. I missed it. One more time. <laughs> Ife Chukude. I feel like I want it as a ringtone. Like, <laughs> yeah. just like at any given moment, I might just hear that. sample it and do yeah. a dance yeah. remix. Yeah, do you know yeah. right. a middle name and a surname you can throw into that mix I'm, as yeah, well? Yeah. I love it. Way. I'm going to put it as a ringtone on like a group chat. So it'll be Ife, 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 Ife. <laughs> you know how that oh, yeah. goes. Yeah. So. Let me get the Big Frida version. That's <laughs> the one I want. There you go. There you go. Yes. Oh. Oh, wow. Well, uh, yeah, today's show is going to be kind of a mixture of our show and Fantai. We're going to be discussing the film Harlem Nights and also the career of Eddie Murphy, who, like the show Fantai says, we're fans, but also we have some anti-feelings towards them. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's go ahead and get started on the discussion of Harlem Nights. Uh, Since you are both our guests, Travel and Jarrett, would you like to try your best at giving a brief synopsis of Harlem Nights? No. (laughs) <laughs> um, I would not actually uh, should I take it or okay, I'll try okay. Um, so it is a period piece um, it's set I guess is it 30s yes. is what the energy I get okay 1938 and Eddie Murphy stars as a guy who runs like a uh, what do you call those thingamajiggies um, I should have prepared for this works. before volunteering, huh? Like an illegal speakeasy gambling house. That's it, house. speakeasy. That's the word I was yeah. looking for. An illegal speakeasy, and they end up getting kind of mixed up with, you know, the mob-ish um, people on the other side of town who run the other speakeasies, and then they come up with this plan to, like, get from under the thumb of the other folks and it's supposed to be funny and all of that. I would say if I if I were gonna, first of all, supposed to be funny, shady. Um, <laughs> I think if I had to describe it, I might say like 
During the 1930s, a New York City illegal gambling house owner and his associates must reading. deal with the strong competition, gangsters and corrupt cops the actual in order line. to stay in business. <laughs> yes, thanks to our friends at IMDb. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that came, I thought you well had those put, words sir. down yeah. so well. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's also Eddie Murphy's <laughs> first and only uh, endeavor as director. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's his he, night of the hunter, if you will. He wrote and directed this and stars with Richard Pryor, Red Fox, Della Reese, who mm, was my legend. favorite thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Come Yo. on. Yes. Yes. Hands uh, down. Yeah. Mind yeah. you, Della Reese pre-touched by an angel because she, you know, took a turn <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Oh, I saw Touched by an Angel first because my grandma, of course, was watching that on repeat. So Amen. seeing this version of her, I was like, Whoa. That's like only seeing LaWanda Page on Sanford and Son and then hearing one of her albums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, whoa, 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 okay. Or or even like uh, for me, it was when I like heard Bob Saget stand up and I was like, who, who, who is this there you man? Go. There you what? Go. what? But that's part of it, right? The language of this. So this was actually my first time watching Harlem Nights. I hadn't seen this before because it had always been described as such just a terrible film in general. <laughs> <laughs> and watching it, what stood out to me, because I think Travel's shade was earned, but also I was like, oh, this film doesn't want to be a comedy. This, this, he wanted to make a gangster film and he loves comedians. So that's who he cast. And it was more like tonally ambitious than just a comedy or just a gangster film. It was not successful all the time with those tones. But I found it interesting in terms of, yeah, if I'm Eddie Murphy, crazy star power, given the wheels to this thing, it's such a more interesting choice for him to have made for a directorial debut of, yeah, you're going to give me money and we get to dress up and look amazing and everybody wears tuxes in every single scene. And like Della Reese alone, I want you to know if I ever go to the Oscars, I will be wearing what she wears in the scene when she gets into fisticuffs with Mr. Eddie Murphy and has like 15 dead animal pelts on her shoulders. But the, the tone of it was- And loses her toe. Important. Yeah, yeah. She loses, loses her, her toe. 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 He shot me in my pinky toe. I know, man. I'm gonna put what's left of my foot in your ass. I'm gonna kill him, sugar. And you know what? She doesn't hold a grudge about it. Like I, anyway, I found the tone really, really interesting and not what I was expecting and more enjoyable that because of it. I think if I was like, oh, this is going to be a straight up comedy. Yeah, yeah, I can see definitely being let down. But I was like, oh, there's the this is really interesting from this like 20 some years later vantage point of what I know that Eddie Murphy eventually did dramatic performance wise mm -hmm. or anything else like I, I think you mean 30 year plus. No, it is not. We are <laughs> ageless. Oh, yeah. Uh, which sad. I do all the time, like, oh wow, that was ten years, uh, yeah. twenty years ago. Yeah, no, oh, I, I know the true. So true. Yeah, you know, I the thing that I thought about early on was I, I, this movie looks like as 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 much as I they really go into the period detail and the cars and the tuxes and the gowns and all that stuff. It looks really just kind of bright and flat, like there's no sort of period flavor in that way. And and it reminded me of an interview with somebody, maybe Jodie Foster back when she made like Little Man Tate or something, but somebody who was an actor who was becoming a director for the first time saying, 
you have to start with a really great DP and that's, it all kind of falls into place from there because not only are they going to like know all the things that you don't know about how movies should look. And, and this comes up in the Mike Nichols bio too, but also like they're kind of the people who run the crew and, and they're the ones who really kind of like sort of are the, are the leaders on a set even more than the director is. And the guy who shot this, like he did come into America. He did a lot of TV. And I just kept thinking like if Eddie Murphy had gotten like Gordon Willis to shoot this movie or like just, name any 20 like great cinematographers i think this movie would have been would have gotten over a lot of hurdles that even though yeah it's sort of tonal and script issues because at least it would have looked really sumptuous and i just it looks like an, an episode of a tv show where somebody has a dream about the 30s you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it's, it's funny that you you say that because that's that's exactly what i was gonna say is that it definitely has this like coming to america look so knowing that it makes a lot of sense but like it's it's funny because like back then that's just kind of like how a lot of the media i was consuming looked so it never <laughs> came like it never stood out to me uh like yeah my relationship to this was like this was like one of the films in heavy rotation at the house and to me it was like cool and it's funny because uh like now i I didn't uh really know much about cotton club uh surprise surprise but like now seeing it i can definitely see like that was a film that eddie murphy saw and was like i want to do that but like with only black people which i have no choice but to stand uh (laughs) (laughs) but like uh but like yeah it's that's the that's the thing like I think what really made it resonate for me as as a, this young boy in Compton watching this was that, you know, and we're even kind of talking about this funny enough still to this day, is you just never get those like stories to see black people in these cool moments like this and mm-hmm. in uh, in positions of power and doing like the cool stuff. So that was always cool to me. Like, you know, you like even till this day, we can't have just regular black people doing black things without being like, ah, we're going to talk about the, the struggle. And it's like, all right, but we can't like time out one time one time like we can't get some fairies in this joint like uh you know like i'd love that i'd love to see you know uh black black knight not the eddie murphy version but a, just a regular ass black knight um so i think that's what like resonated and then it's funny because like you know as an adult and then becoming a film nerd you watch it again and see like okay you know there we we can we can approach this differently and betterly uh <laughs> well yeah jared Trammell, the- what tell us his with this film i was gonna say as one of the fairies in the room i would say that (laughs) i i i I think the critique is interesting about the the look of it and i think that like i'm someone who did not pay attention uh as much to like lighting and cinematography like in in past years but i think in more recent years we've had more opportunities to see black folks on screen lit beautifully and colored perfectly and all of those things and i think that as we talk about the, the the look of the film it definitely brings that to the fore for me that i think about all of the ways in which like black folks were not meant to be lit in films back in the days, right? Like we had silent films and black and white films and all those kinds of things that were for white skin, right? And so now that we're we're doing more cinematography and more lighting and all of these different things, um, thinking about black skin or brown skin, um, I think that's an important element of it. I think that this movie, I have not sat and watched the entire movie all at one time until 
two hours ago. Um, but <laughs> I, I've seen like scenes from it multiple different times at different times. Um, I will say that in those moments when I've seen a bunch of clips of it, I've always been like, oh, this is entertaining. And then all of it as one film together, I'm like, oh, this is about 40 minutes too long. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a very long film uh, that does not need to be as long as it is. Um, and I, I'm going to use two words here that I'm using cautiously um, and black folks that are listening, listen with caution. It Some of the writing has a Tyler Perry-esque kind of like too longness. That, that's a scientific <laughs> word. Um, yes. Where it's like, the scenes are a little bit redundant. Like, we get it, you wanna fight. Should we go outside? Get the gun, her toe is gone. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's move it along here, folks. Don't so cut like that scene. So. <laughs> right, exactly. I you know what I mean? Scene that I will handle being overlong. But, <laughs> well, but I called Travel Travel called me to say, like, oh, are you have you watched the movie? And I was like, I'm literally watching it right now. Her toe just got shot off. And he's like, that's the best scene, and we're 20 minutes in. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say about with the length and stuff, you can really tell this is a first time director doing a comedy thing with his friends, because I, I if you've been on as many sketch sets as I've been and then watch the completed things, it was like, I know we did a runner, but you could have just cut this in half and it definitely <laughs> felt that energy where it's like, oh, man, especially like uh, like if you look at like. Eddie's place among the comedians in here. He's kind of like one of the younger bloods. He, he surrounded himself with like people he looked up to. So there was no way you're going to get him to cut down. Like he's in the editing room. He's not going to cut down anything prior says he's not going to cut down any, anything, any red fire. He's not cutting down anything. He's just going to be like, shockingly, he's also not going to cut down anything. Arsenio Hall. <laughs> that's his, that's his day one right there. That's, I know. He seems like I'm, I'm going to bat. <laughs> Travel, what was your uh, immediate take, other than agreeing with me on the best scene in the movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. Harlem Nights is, like, one of those films that I feel like is, like, supposed to be, like, part of, like, the Black canon when you think of, like, Black mm -hmm. film. And I had seen it before watching it for, for this purposes, but I always... I guess had a better idea of what the movie was in my head. Um, and then watching it, I watched it last night and I was just like, oh, this is not what I remember. <laughs> this is, uh, this is, this could be better. Um, and I think the the fight scene between Eddie and Della Reese is the best part. I think Della Reese has, you know, the best kind of like one-liners that she throws mm -hmm. out every now and again. Um, I just thought that there were just so many instances in which like particularly Arsenio Hall's character, like when he's crying after Tommy. Side note: Why does Tommy always Why play is characters his name Tommy? named Tommy? In what every is this thing? Thing? Like rest in peace. But like somebody help me out. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, but the the scene with Arsenio Hall crying is just like super. Like I don't. I it was unclear whether it was supposed to be funny or like dramatic, but it was definitely extra for no reason. Quick! <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, quick! <laughs> you made me shoot one of my boys in the back of the head! 
<laughs> and I know you had something to do with what happened to my brother, quick. Yeah, I don't know why we call this a classic. I just don't know why. What Drea talks about is like, the, the, you know, what the, the film he wanted to make. I, I'm not entirely sure that he didn't intend this to be a comedy. I just think he didn't. I think it all kind of got away from him, uh, you know. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, and especially because, and he even talks about this in an interview later that like he was really excited about working with Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. He really thought they were going to like kind of create some fireworks. And he said like Pryor kind of came in, did his lines and left. Like he was not oh, the kind of collaborator that he was always be. Also, he was just in the earlier stages of MS. So obviously he had other stuff to deal mm -hmm. with at that point. But, you know, I, I like like Red Fox. It, there's not for a movie that's this long this if that's every second of red fox and like you right. gave him nothing to do you know um so yeah i i think there was an intent to like in the framework of a traditional hollywood movie you know or a hollywood traditional genre you know like the gangster movie to then do a somewhat comedic version by ha casting all these comic people and again murphy wrote this you know i don't think it ever really quite gels in that way but i do like the idea of audio of of communities that were left out of Hollywood's golden mm -hmm. age going back and doing those movies their way yeah. You know, I, I I think, uh, you know, there are so many like musicals and gangster pictures and and kind of like old school rom coms. All this have to be made by people of color, by queer people, by you know all these different folks who were not on the lot at MGM and who now maybe get access to to do that. And in the, to that level, I think that Murphy is doing something interesting here. And it's and it comes up a couple times in his career. I think where he like let's do this movie, but let's make it black, which is cute. Oh yeah, that's why to me the this it's cute that it stood out that this is what he decided to do. Like we still talk about to this day within the last couple of days of that dire need for black stories that are not centered around pain mm. and that this is not only just about getting to have this beautiful cast in this like period piece in this fabulous clothes in this genre that's recognizable but even within that it's not even like um you know they don't talk about that oh these speakeasies are segregated or anything like you see white people at his at sugar rays mm -hmm. and like it's it's not that oh we're gonna run the there's certainly racist and derogatory speech from the bad guys mm -hmm. and i would love to talk about michael lerner and danny aiello because <laughs> they kill it <laughs> Kill it. They're such good bad guys. And I was like, I don't yeah. know what movie you guys are in, but I'm <laughs> enjoying what you're doing. But they, you know, as much as there is a clear, like, acknowledgement of the racism coming from the cops, coming from the whatever, the story does not hinge on a sense of segregation or a mm -hmm. sense of, like, this is our one shot as black people to have this. No, they're like, no, we built this. We can, we'll build it somewhere. We're just many we're one of many uh speakeasy owners in the city and, and, and they end up winning at the end right like mm. you know they don't lose the battle um mm -hmm. you know they end up killing everybody else off which you know <laughs> yay and, well, and this, not is a, yay, but. This, this is this is daniel six months after do the right thing also it's worth mm -hmm. i mean <laughs> yeah he, i mean I truly thought that Danny Aiello's character was in a Shane Black movie. Like, he was giving me such a specific kind of bad guy, and he was so menacing and real that it balanced out. You guys, they kill him by locking him in a safe and depriving him of oxygen. And then it's, but with the joke, like, his last thing is like, 
taking really small puffs of air for comedic effect. It's I I mean, I kind of love the absurdity of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean like that I think that's the 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 battle, right? And I think that's it's like a classic comedic battle which is like i think we've said this about movies we've seen uh recently where like whether they want to go cartoon or they want to do it grounded and i think this is that i think another thing that kind of like uh hurts this movie is much like every piece of comedy in eddie murphy's career is it uh ages like an avocado uh you know (laughs) like it like it i think that like this is one of those movies that I think if it if all the funny points were funny, it would be okay. But like rewatching it, like even like you know the the one of the best scenes in the movie uh, with Del Reese, it is different watching someone go toe to toe with a woman. Like now, it's like you know, yes. it's like it's like it doesn't have that same. Even though like I could see back then, they're like, oh, it's funny. This woman's like beating his ass, but it was like ah, it's still like every gut punch. You're still like. Ah, uh, you know, yeah. you, there's a lot of things that happened since uh, the 80s uh, that, you know, are just prescient in our mind. Uh. I think to that point, um, one of the things that always kind of sticks with me, and I feel like it's a small thing that most people don't pay attention to, but I always watch films with the closed captioning on or the subtitles because I, I feel like you you get so much more of the film um, seeing it that way. That. Yeah, yeah so and like... Alonzo. yeah. No, sorry. Take it. (laughs) One of the first times that I recognized that something was not right was a few years ago when I started paying more attention to the closed captioning and recognizing y'all don't have black people doing these closed captions because the ways that they spell out the words, we just did a whole episode on the word nigga and like whether or not people should be using it or not, blah, 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 blah. And like all of the uses in the film, they are speaking it with an A, but -hmm. in the closed captioning, it's with an ER. And I was like, whoa, the hard R looks really weird there. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's it also, it just kind of makes it seem like, oh, you guys don't have black people in there doing these closed captioning. You don't have, mm-hmm. like, you're not spelling these things in the ways that these people would be saying them. Also, um, it makes... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off because no, no. It, this is uh, it makes me f- feel like it's intentional. Like it's almost like some white dude in the closed yes. captioning being like, just so you see how you sound. It's like, no, you know, there's a difference because we actually G-E-R. had something. are yeah, like, yeah, whoa, we, okay. We, like, so we had this super. So I did a live stream on Twitch, much like you know many of the uh, watch alongs that we've had as uh, as our show. Uh, but I did it with my buddy Lamar with his movie. Uh, it's a party and it's a movie about rappers. Uh, so you can only imagine how many times we said the N word in that movie. And mm. every time it was E R and it was like, it was like, it was like wild at first. And then it, like people in chat were like, no, there's no way. Like, it was like, who is this? So like my buddy, they had to like call stars and be like, yo, I don't know who y'all have doing our closed captions, but you need to fix this. And it's mm. like, and it's like, and it's something that like, I'm sure most people, you know, you know, Lamar's still an indie filmmaker, so he has the chance to check back. But I don't know how many of these bigger studios are going back to check and seeing that this is happening. I- I'm wondering if this is one of those things like the AP style book where they have this very, <laughs> this old school list of rules. They have to, Maybe. Like, you know, like, like, like the New York Times referring to Johnny Rotten as Mr. Rotten on like second, you know, uh, <laughs> mention like just some weird archaic thing that they can't get rid of. But well, you know, they yeah, do. That's a fascinating for, for closed captioning, like for me, if I'm delivering a film to our distributor, one of the deliverables I'm responsible for is the closed captioning. So there's just a handful of companies that do them. Mm. So it's often outside of the studio itself. But like, that's a great point because 
it would stand out to me so much and it would affect my reading of a scene. <laughs> okay, bad pun. But if I saw that in the closed captioning while I'm hearing them talk, the disconnect before that and then what that makes you think of, like, those are things that should be it threaded takes you out through. Of it. Well, exactly. I, I think to that point, I mean, I, I have, uh, I'm now president of the National Association of Black Journalists here in LA. Uh, Travel wow. had that position oh, formerly. Oh, well, Travel had the position prior to me, and I was vice president. But like, I have like this long list of things, and I'm like, what are the things that we could work on? And like, I can't figure out the journalists' way into that. But it's one of those things that has really been bothering me for years. When watching, I remember watching Homecoming with Beyonce and seeing the close captioning and being like, that ain't what she said, or like, that's not. What <laughs> she met you know what i mean and those kinds of things and then like to see it in harlem nights i think to myself like oh was this closed captioning done like contemporaneously or did they have they re-closed captioned it in the recent years like it's it's a question that was definitely on my mind throughout the film Oh, I was gonna say, Dre, you mentioned the clothing uh, earlier and I thought that the clothing was one of the things that really stuck out to me because I just thought like damn, these clothes are beautiful. Like, I just thought they had, like, really great clothing, right? I mean, uh, some of the Della Reese looks were way over the top and obviously intentionally, but I just thought, like, Eddie Murphy had on some really beautiful tuxedos, and so did Richard Pryor, and, like, so many of them. And I, I think that, uh, when I think Travell was saying, like, why do we call this a classic? Or someone was saying that. I think that it's unmistakable that this is a film that had budget, right, that had, you know a lot of big stars in it. And it's easy to see how it became a classic for folks of that era, of that time, um, and why they loved it so much, because we don't get a whole bunch of those. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. that doesn't make it good. You know what yeah. I mean? So <laughs> I will, I do want to call attention to the most awkward piece of clothing I've seen in a while on Jasmine Guy, who's so stunning in this and has like this beautiful sort of Greta Garbo moment in a nightgown. But she has this one outfit with her at dinner, which is like a black gown that has two feathers shooting out of the yes. part of it like the bodice and i'm like oh i those look like an, those look like someone went to michael's and grabbed <laughs> some like decorative feathers and we're See, like can we just shove these in her uh bodice to uh frame her face i actually thought it was super i thought it was like way grand right like the, i couldn't tell yeah. if it was like a like a harness like right. shoulder piece no, the, thing yeah the feathers i loved and she looked super elegant and like her style fit really well. It was, please just go back and just look at the top line of that and be like, someone added those after the fact. I, I did have the thought when I saw that that costume that she had on, I was like, so she's not eating or drinking at all tonight. Is that what this is? <laughs> like, that's just at this not happening. Dinner, at this dinner meeting. Exactly, yes. yeah. Oh. She is not going to consume the wine or the chocolate he brought her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> she will, like, like in Malcolm and Marie, she will go home and make an angry mac and cheese at the end in of the day. Yeah, yes, well, in her um, Nothing yeah, makes her me heels. madder than that mac and cheese. Uh, <laughs> like, who, uh, who, who, what, what, whom's, what black person is like, I'm gonna make mac and cheese. Let me get the blue box. The way that he, the way that he eats the mac and cheese is just as infuriating as its existence. It is, oh my God, I wanted to throw something at the screen. I was like, stop it. Like, it was like crazy. If we're talking about food props, then in Harlem Nights, Della Reese goes to make a sandwich at one point. Yes. Oh, yeah. And the slices of bread, oh. each slice 
is I'm going to say two inches. It is two <laughs> inches of bread. Oh, it's a Texas toast moment. Oh, yeah. And, and there's I'm, only tuna on one piece of bread. She slaps another just plain piece of bread on top of it. Just a plain piece of bread with nothing. It was like, the I, most... I guess it's the depression. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay, so those are other things. I looked this up because there's so much about this of, like, paying the cops off and stuff. And I was like, didn't Prohibition end in, like, 90... Or in 1933? And so this was, like... Years but, after but prohibition, they have, they have gambling in a whorehouse, so you know that's and no, I'm just <laughs> New yes. York. What are you gonna do now? Yes. I, the thing I want to camp on for, for a second, if he talks about how you know this is what happens when, when people get to make movies with their friends, and I, I'm curious if you see that as a good or a bad thing because I think I can I feel like I can point to a lot of cases where oh, yeah. that leads us to the road to ruin like when Roger Ebert reviewed this movie he compared it to like this is the kind of movie that ended Burt Reynolds's screen career you know and so <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the making movies with your friends is always a if, if how you perceive it as somebody who's uh, in this world I feel like it's when you have a good director, you know, like, mm. like and definitely not a first time because the, for every first time writer, first time director, first time editors will all have trouble killing their babies. That's the first lesson you learn. So like to have you have to learn to kill your babies when you're in this movie where you surrounded yourself with people you look up to and your friends and you want everyone to have a moment. Oh, that's a recipe for a uh, Snyder cut esque uh, <laughs> mess. You know, now, where I, I think to your point here, that is what I felt. I mean, we're talking about Eddie Murphy's career a little bit later, but like mm -hmm. I felt exactly this way about coming to America too. Like yeah. this, the, the sequel, it was mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah. yeah. Yikes. There's a lot of big stars. There's a lot of funny moments, but I think they told the wrong story. And I think yes. that this is this is just not the right way to do this film. Mind yeah. you, it was a lot more beautiful than Harlem Nights. But you know, yes. that's a whole different thing. So. Also, and great clothing. Like yeah. they, yes. they share that in common. Oh, I, yeah, go <laughs> No, I was gonna say, I mean, you're right, it is a better looking movie, but I mean that that does kind of make me think that this is everything we're seeing in this movie is practical. You know, mm -hmm. like there is no green there, at the end when they're looking across the river, I guess. But like pretty much this entire movie is like shot and lit and things are in the room. And it's not like there, there's not a lot of, you know, we're, we're this is still a little early for a lot of digital wizardry on a film like this. Interesting. Yeah. I think the other thing that stood out to me about this was, you know, we talked about like the disconnect of the tone or whatever, but it's this idea of, I'm kind of bummed that this dissuaded Eddie Murphy from directing anything else at all. If only because, especially at that time, there's so few stars with the weight that he had yeah. and what he could have continued to do. And we've watched other like, um, Stallone's Paradise Alley is terrible. Like his <laughs> yeah. first film is not good. And if he had not, got back in it you know filmmaking is one of the few artistic mediums that if you're trying to get to your like malcolm gladwell hours you can't just like oh i'm gonna you know get out my canvas and paint like to get your hours as a filmmaker is a collaboration and money it's much harder to improve your craft and if you're him and it's not even the main thing that you do it's not like eddie murphy was like tinkering around in yeah. shorts to figure it out and i think there's something 
lost about like having him hit with all these Razzies. I'll say I have seen much worse comedies. I have seen much worse (laughs) gangster films and I've seen like much worse vanity projects. (laughs) There's a sequel to Paul Blart Mall Cop. I just want to put that out there. Like Paul Blart, Paul Blart 2 back in the habit, if I'm correct. (laughs) No, not back in the habit. The legend of Curly's gold. (laughs) Paul Blart 2 full throttle. Yeah, like like the quickening. The hard segue or something. I don't remember what it was called, but something like that. Bigger, blurter, harder. (laughs) Never stop. Yeah, Eddie Murphy strikes me as the type of person who's kind of like a perfectionist. Like, I remember I caught uh, Comedians in Cars getting coffee, his episode. That's the only reason I would watch that show. Uh, (laughs) But, like, he was talking, you know, uh, Seinfeld kept being like, oh, you coming back? You coming back to stand-up? And he was like, I don't know. And And that was a good episode, too, because, like, it was one of the places where he was like, my jokes back then weren't great and like he like kind of giving him that space to do it but he he also seemed like he was like like he was like if i come back i want to do it right and he seems like you know how you have those people who's like they have to do it right and if they don't do it right it's not for them and i feel Mm -hmm. like that's how he approached this where he made this movie no one liked it and he was like all right i'm not a director I'm I'm the actor guy. I'm he's like, he's like I'm not yeah. touching it. Yeah, who needs the headache, frankly? Because yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure if it, if if your career up to that point is like I show up on the set, I sit in my trailer, they come and get me, I do my thing, and then I go back in my trailer, as opposed to like what I have to be there first and then it's leave last, and I have to you, you know guys, like that's and, even and now yeah, why yeah plug it. even as a podcast, do you know the treat it is for me that Casey has to do all the work? <laughs> oh yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> oh my god. It's the best. I hosted a diff- I hosted a different podcast for six years prior to doing Fanti, and like I had to pay the person, I had to help with the cuts, I had to do the posting, and like doing Fanti now, I'm like, oh, this is a walk. Like I have to do this all the time. I just chat and then skedaddle. More right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jordan, and then like send it off. Like this is amazing. No, I totally get that. I think that I think that if you're Eddie Murphy and you're at the level that he's at in his career back when this film is happening, um, I, I definitely could see the part of him that would say like, "This was a lot of work for not as much payoff, maybe." Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. and when he could go do a stand-up uh, special or go fil- star in a film yes. as opposed to having to yeah. to do everything behind it. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe um, he shouldn't. Maybe he shouldn't have tried to go direct and write a movie movie in the first place. <laughs> But I do think there is that that idea. If you're coming up, like he was a comic for however long, he went through Mm -hmm. SNL. If if you're offered something like this, like I can see wanting to just take advantage of it. And I will forever give him credit for being at this stage. Because honestly, if I had heard, if it was 1989 and you guys, I was barely born then. So, (laughs) but if I had heard about this and I heard he'd been given like, oh, all right, we want you to do this film. We're going to give you a budget. We're going to support you with the studio. The fact that he didn't immediately pitch a movie either about a stand-up that wanted to be an actor yeah. <laughs> uh, or a cop. True. Do you know what I mean? Like if he, the fact that he was like, oh, okay, you want me to, do, because I'm telling you that the studio probably would have loved like yeah, ba- that, basically yeah. a thinly veiled version of his own life. If you're going to hand him the keys, then yes, make a period piece with Della Reese in it. Like uh, by all <laughs> means, that's at least, you're at least doing that much. Even if whatever you think about the finished product, you're right. There's a lot of ways you could have really just phoned this in, but it's like, no, no, no. 
here's what if, if you're if, if these I'm going to cash in my chits now. We're going all in, and we're I'm going to have I'm going to make a movie with Richard Pryor, my you know role model. I'm going to make a movie where we all get to look great and like you know have custom made tuxedos and step out of vintage cars. And it's like okay, that's not the that is not the path of least resistance. But you're making that happen because you are the guy who holds all the cards in this transaction. He also got to make every single white man in this the dumbest person in any room. <laughs> like, Which there I is have this... to say warms my heart. Revelations. <laughs> like, we appreciate it. Bless that. Like if you're going to be like, yo, you want to give me all this money? Then for sure we're going to have this dude have this like dumpy middle-aged dude have a young Layla Rashone like pick him out of a bar and seduce him and he's going to believe it. You know why? Because he's dumb. They're all dumb. They all fall for dumb stuff. Like, no, I, right, will tell you, I will tell you as a, a, a black person who is screenwriting now, like I, my, my first pilot, we have this, you know, hour long drama that we've written and we're really excited about it. And one of the p notes that we got back from someone was, I don't think there was a white person in here, was there? And I was like, Actually, no, there wasn't, you know what I mean? And like, to be able to see like a whole world because we've seen whole worlds with only white people, right? And I mean, we've also seen that with uh, with films that come from Asia and other countries and things like that, where it's a whole world where it is just all like uh, one group of people. But then I do find that sometimes it's interesting because when we do see white people in those roles, they are definitely the ones taking it on the chin. And like, it's like, well, you know, it's poetic justice. Right. We've, we've taken yeah. it on the chin for a long time, so you can eat this one, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's like when they used to ask RBG, when, you know, like, how many female Supreme Court justices should there be? And she said, nine would be nine. nice. Yeah. I mean, exactly. There were nine yeah. men for a long time, and nobody had a problem with that, you know. <laughs> there should be 13 female Supreme Court justices. Dre, oh, I really man. fucks with you. I fucks yeah. with you. I do. Uh, I mean, we can go, uh, you know, use this as an opportunity to just talk about Eddie Murphy's career as a whole. Uh, yeah. But I do mm. want to drop this one uh, trivia fact that another com uh, comic who is, you know, as prominent as Eddie, who also has one directing cr credit, is Martin Lawrence, uh, with his one directing credit being A Thin Line Between Love and Hate, which oh. also featured Della Reese. Uh, so, so yes. you know, there's that's the common de denominator between those two. But, yeah, that is also uh, Martin uh, And Lawrence's they're both in life. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's this is just so funny that they both only have one director. <laughs> they both were like, no, no. What? <laughs> A supposedly so fun have... thing I'll never do again. Yeah. yeah. Did that. D done with that. What what is your what is everyone else's relationship with Eddie Murphy as um an entertainner and as a public figure? Hmm. I shall I'll say. Oh man. You know, the deep pauses. There's about, pensive, pensive looks all around right now. <laughs> I'm letting the guests go first yeah, on yeah. this one. <laughs> about the same as me. Like, I didn't, you know, there was no way that, you know, my parents were going to let me watch, like, Raw or anything. So, like, my big first introduction to Eddie Murphy was his stuff with, like, Coming to America, Nutty Professor. Like, a lot of, mm. when, when he was kind of doing those kind of, like, 
popcorn movies. Like I really loved uh, Doctor Doolittle, yeah. Bowfinger. Uh, I was gonna say I your love... generation daddy daycare, aren't you? Ify? Yeah, I'm all. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> like, I, <laughs> like, like all of his like fun stuff. I didn't even get to see things like Forty Eight Hours. You know, like I was just like it was all his like more fun Mushu. You know, where he was like yes, making Munty Munty. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when he started being like, oh, this is this is how I stack the bread. It's forget all the <laughs> forget all this. I'm going here, and he wasn't doing stand up as much he was just collecting checks and that was my thing so like when i go back by the time i really you know wanted to get in raw because like i was as a stand-up i had the weirdest kind of like thing like i saw a bit of carlin that, that was my favorite but like i saw like i would watch deaf comedy jam and i more, more mostly saw the ones when it wasn't like your bernie max or your like i did see the chris tucker one but i like jumped around so i didn't i never really attached to any uh anyone and then when i went back to like do my research like i saw a bit of raw and i was like i'm good uh like 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 you know it was it was cool at the time i'm sure uh i love the idea behind having bold style choices when you do stand up that i will take from this uh but like it, yeah no i i always i say this often i i don't i don't do i'm not a mean comedian i don't do mean comedy and if it feels too mean it feels too uh like i'm like ugh, it doesn't it turns me off so i'll say that uh as a former stand up person and like having like had a long appreciation for stand up comics throughout my life eddie murphy was not really a stand up comic that i turned to um i've seen a little bit of the work but similarly i've gone back and went to watch raw i think when it was on it came up on netflix or something and i was like a few minutes in and i was like i'm going to have to stop <laughs> like it was it's <laughs> it's very aggressive um and i mean i don't even know that i think that eddie murphy is like a hateful person today right like yeah. i think that's part of that conversation we have about people's evolution over the years um but like Similarly, again, like if he, I think my first like real connection with Eddie Murphy would have been The Nutty Professor. I was about 11 years old when that came out. Um, and I remember thinking it was so cool that he's playing all of these characters mm -hmm. and it was so funny. Um, and so I loved that. And so I think it's like, I think it's the, my earlier memories of him are like, Michael Jackson, remember the time video and the oh, yeah. where he's like the king yes. or the, the oh, pharaoh yeah. the or whatever. Pharaoh. The the pharaoh. Yeah. Yeah. And then The Nutty Professor, uh, two movies, uh, the, the duo of movies, which I, I don't know that there's a third movie that's needed there. But like I I really enjoyed it enough that I'd go see it. You know what I mean? It's it's such a classic to me. I would not go see another one of them. Um, <laughs> they're great as it. are. Um, don't get me wrong. They're great as they are. Probably a little fat phobic in today's mm -hmm. senses. But oh, yeah. fair, um, fair. we still laughed at it. Um, I think for me, I'll just throw out, I think the first Eddie Murphy role film that I saw was Vampire in Brooklyn, um, which is a, is a classic, okay? Uh, a camp classic that folks should check out. <laughs> and then very much so, I'm a Mushu girl, you know, from Mulan. Um, love it, feel it, all of that. Um, and then Dr. Doolittle, as it was already already mentioned. Um, the, the family things, you know. Um, I have never seen Raw, I don't think. Um, I don't think you And I don't think me. I ever will. Mm -mm, um, don't. <laughs> So yeah, but and I guess we also have to at least mention what's the movie he just had? Um Dolomite. Dolomite. Um, my name. Dolomite, yeah. Which I didn't like, but I'm a you know, keep that to myself. Oh. Um a lot of other people loved it, thought he was amazing and transformative and all of that. And it was cute or whatever. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'ma shut up now. 
I can't no, believe none of you going. mentioned this Donkey is... from yeah. Shrek. No, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Donkey Donkey fits right there in the uh, family friendly. It is interesting. I hadn't I hadn't quite thought of his career in that arc as much because he did start off so he was I was not watching his stand up either because I was young for it and I when you're well, if you're me and you're young, I also wasn't watching like stand up anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get that. Um, but any the energy and the like, um, you know, he's like this sexy, sassy cop. Like in all of the mo- the earlier movies, I remember like when he was like building his star to that, and then he really does take such a turn into like family friendly fare, which is kind of crazy someone should do a whole deep dive on that of uh, at what point he he decided to make that turn but um he yeah I, f- I find him a really interesting character in terms of someone who has retained um there's people who have star power but that you're like are just sort of like utilized by different directors if that makes sense mm-hmm. whereas eddie murphy i feel like has had a sense of ownership over what he does if it's having a driving creative force in his projects if it's because he always plays 15 people in each movie that he's <laughs> in like there's an interesting element of what he's taking on as an actor um that I, I think he has so much range and breadth to him that was never always explored in the same ways. And he made a lot of opportunities to try and do that. Like if you know, look at coming to America, which I love the original one so much. And again, in terms of someone who's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I don't want to play just like the typical role that a black man, my age with my star power is going to be offered or play. I would like to play this guy who's funny for this reason and also have all these scenes where i play every supporting character old men white men like he's someone who was really flexing a lot of stuff and again i've already said it but i think it still would have been fun to see him do more as a director with that same spirit I think one of the the two of the things that stand out to me from Eddie Murphy's career, um, no one's talking about Daddy Daycare, which is really upsetting <laughs> to me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> no, I I loved that he did the PJs. I don't know if you guys remember the claymation the show PJs. that he did. Yeah. Um, the PJs <laughs> that was so fun, um, but mm-hmm. also. I think one of the films that I, I'd forgotten that he was in, and I'm look, looking at his catalog of work, but I loved his performance in Dreamgirls. Um, and I know oh, Travell yes. loves Dreamgirls, but yeah. like, I just think that he was so good in that film and really showed us the range, right? Like, it was it was a fantastic performance. Um, he reminds us that he can kind of sing a little bit, but not really, but sort of, but enough. Good enough. Um, good enough to do hey, it. Hey, Party All the Time is a classic. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yes. <laughs> A classic like Harlem Nights, right? Exactly. Am I right? In that exact same way, yes, for sure. I, look, I'm I'm closest in age to Eddie Murphy for of the folks here, and and he started really young, so I feel like I've kind of watched his entire career unfold in real time. And you know, I, I remember he was a revelation on SNL at a point where that show seemed like it was a death store. I remember loving Forty Eight Hours. I think I saw that in the theater like four or five times. Um, but then. My beginning to come out dovetailed with 
Beverly oh. Hills Cop and Raw and Delirious. And it was like, man, what are we talking about here? And then after that, he kind of went into like, yeah, the the, the family stuff that y'all are talking about. And then, you know, and then you see him in something like Dreamgirls. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy has all of these things in his paint box that he could be bringing to roles. And why hasn't he? And and th- th- there is that weird thing of like, he he was so popular and could write his own ticket and then like what did he choose to do with that power and to me a lot of it sort of seems like and sadly you see a lot of this in Richard Pryor's career as well which is like they took the roles that paid the most which uh-huh. uh, who am I to tell you not to but it's like they also that also I think maybe kind of took away people's desire to want to see them in movies. And so, you know, and, and, and this happens, this is, you know, like, again, the Burt Reynolds example that, that Ebert brought up, I think we're seeing it now with Melissa McCarthy and her insistence on making movies that are directed by her husband, who is maybe not the best, you know, director for her or anyone. And so, yeah, I, I kind of feel like when you see something like like Dreamgirls or Dolomite is my name, which I, I liked more than Travell did, uh, <laughs> that that it that it's a little it, you feel that sense of like, oh my god, what could you have been doing all of this time if you had chosen to like maybe not take the the biggest Hollywood paycheck, but like decided to make a movie with Charles Burnett or something, you know, or or, or you know, I mean, like yeah. I, I like we talked before about about sort of um, taking old Hollywood tropes and and making them your own. Like, I think Boomerang is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. That's a movie where it's Very like he's working with the Hudlins who were like young and up and coming and, and interesting filmmakers. He's basically doing a Doris Day movie, but like, but, you know, a, a sort of glossy workplace comedy, but all the faces are black. And it's like this amazing cast of like legends like Eartha Kid and Jeffrey Holder, but up and comers like Halle Berry, you know, and, and that movie's not perfect, but I think there's, it's doing a lot of what Harlem Nights is doing, which is like, yeah. Let's do the movies that we grew up on and loved and never saw ourselves in. And I I so wish he could have done more of that because he's incredibly talented and and I I, I think that it, it's such a, a an erratic career in terms of the choices he made. And I say that as somebody who had to sit through Meet Dave. <laughs> or, or that it's, it's not erratic enough like there's that sure. idea we've seen so many some of our best comedic or some of our most lauded actors like your Tom Hanks right started in comedy mm. and then there's an edge to their dramatic performances and I think Eddie Murphy certainly had that and yeah as you're talking I guess even more than me bemoaning what other films he could have directed the idea of um, expanding and the the leap of faith to what if he had worked with like auteurs who were trying to have him do like dark or edgy, do you know what I mean? Just to like push him as an actor. Uh, Well, I think to your point, uh, to both of your points, I think that we always think of Eddie Murphy as like this, this genius, iconic comedic actor, right? And comedian. But I think that really when we look at the work that he's done, especially in these films where he's playing all of these different characters against himself, right? He's really just a fantastic actor, like right? Mm. Like he's a really brilliant talent. And I think that we, we always think of the comedy, but like it is work to play five different characters in one scene right and like and and try to and do that back and forth and have the comedic timing and give us the one-offs and the expressions and and ad-libbing and improving with yourself like an incredible talent and i think about that when we think about you know so many of the different eddie murphy films so 
Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> Listen, yes. yes. Yeah. He, he was definitely a pioneer in given how much of acting now is at being looking at a tennis ball, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He was he was the MCU before there was an MCU, you know. Yes. Well, and and like and I, I think of Eddie Murphy as the same um kind of genius that we attach to like a Robin Williams or a Jim Carrey who came from comedy and then went into drama and like you know, really, really did did great work, but like had a lot of really great talent behind it. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, he, he he did make some stabs in that department. There's a movie that no one saw called Mr. Church that is not a particularly good movie, but at least it's oh an effort God, to try yes. and like work with a series director, play a non-comic role. I, yeah, it's just, it's, and look, he's, he is he is still like uh, in his, he's like 60 this year, I think. So there's still... <sighs> opportunities for him to like yeah he looks great go into some new directions but you know again it's like he is he never has to work again if he doesn't feel like it and uh, I, I certainly the day i win the lottery you're never going to see me on a podcast again so like <laughs> i totally appreciate the impulse to just like kick back and and enjoy what you've earned yeah <laughs> eddie, eddie oh, yeah. just turned uh turned 60 on april 3rd so shout out to a fellow aries oh. who's mm. you know i just want to put that out there that's fine. Amazing. That's fine. Yeah. Um, are we voting? Are we voting on Harlem Nights? Is are is that are we yeah. gonna do that in this bonus capital B <laughs> capital, capital B onus? Bonus. <laughs> bonus. Yeah, yeah. Capital let's, onus. let's give our final review. <laughs> uh, you know, right. you know how we do it over here. Would you snap it up on physical media, stream it, or skip it? Let's start with our guests. Travel, let you kick this off. Oh, <laughs> I'm skipping it. Um, mm. you know, yes, I'm skipping it. That's just if you and if you if you don't, you can stream it and just watch the first twenty minutes after she get her show her toe shot off in the movie. Is there <laughs> is there an option for leave it on if I saw it on TV while I'm cleaning the house but not paying attention? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah, one? Yeah. Sure. That yeah. There is now. Stream it. Yep. Right. Yeah. Depending on where we are in the movie, I might just leave it on to see her toe get shot off. But <laughs> you know, I'm not turning it on. So this surprising surprised me in that this is a stream it for me. Although I am sort of in Jared's camp of like this is a stream it for me while doing my nails, maybe doing a little like. A gua sha tool, like a little facial or something, something else going on. But this was more enjoyable than I expected. And when we talked earlier about how, like, it's longer than it needs to be, what's painful about it is that a lot of that is the editing. There are, it's not longer in the sense there's plenty of movies we talk about that you're like, that should have ended 20 minutes before it did and just lose the whole, like, fake ending or whatever mm -hmm. this is there's just a lot of scenes that are awkwardly put together or go too long um and and therefore if you know you have nails to concentrate on <laughs> during those moments then all the better yeah I, I kind of hew toward, uh, with Travel on this one as far as like stream the first 20 minutes, but I would say maybe then stick around for the Layla Rashawn scenes because they're pretty great too. Uh, uh, yeah. she, she's yeah. uh, awesome to watch. Like I, I, need, I need to see Vampire in Brooklyn because uh, Travel oh, great. Uh, is recommending it. And I know, and like Ricky Carmona, it's one of his favorites and I love Angela Bassett in anything. So like uh, I, I wish that Jasmine Guy had been given a role that was less... 
ornamental and mm-hmm. you know like then shot in the face but you know I, she does wear those <laughs> outfits really well even the crazy feather harness can i say that the jasmine guy when i was watching it <clears throat> I, i'd seen the clip of like their whole arc in the thing but i didn't realize when he shot her i was like wait 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 she's gone gone like it, it, it surprised me i didn't think yeah, that, that would like, be the oh, end she's, for her you're right it's like the end of act one like okay well then, then yeah, yeah exactly. moving on i guess all the violence in it is like oh oh we're gonna we're killing people <laughs> and, to death and, there, and there's no backup oh. love interest like she's gone and then like it, he, there's right. no, no time for love dr jones he's moving on to yeah. other stuff drea i love we're killing people to death like oh okay <laughs> I, I mean, I I know we're wrapping it up here, but like this makes me think of I just watched that film. Uh, I care a lot. And like yeah. I, at the risk of a spoiler. Right. Like when she goes into the water, you're like, oh, OK, now come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. They so. do not kill people to death. In they I don't, care a lot. They don't yeah. kill them to death. Until they do. Well, until they do. Until they do. Iffy. Oh man, you know, um, this is this is gonna be. You picked it, kid. This better be a say, snap it up. Oh, you know, you knew I was gonna say. It. Okay, this good. is gonna be a snap it up. Keep it, keep it, keep it in, in your in your in your your, your little you know you, you, where you keep all your your classics. The, the things Ifi you Shikude like. Collection box the Ifi Shikude Collection box set. You de- you definitely because you know it is it is a it is a good time revisiting it. It's you know you know. <laughs> You know, but it still holds a place in my heart because you know, know. you had a lot to say there. If it's a lot to say there, what was your name again? (laughs) What was it? I, I missed it you earlier. I think, yes. You know, there's just parts that just don't hold up and that are, you know, you're seeing uh, the, the time, the wear of time on it. You're seeing, you know, as you, you know, appreciate things. But it, it just hits a, a moment in comedy. And for me in stand-up, which, you know, I think one thing is like, this is an era of stand-up that I don't think can ever exist again, which is where, like, when you were a top stand-up, you were a rock star. When you w- watch mm-hmm. old, like, late-night appearances of eddie murphy coming in those suits and people were like who does this guy think he is and that's cool to me because i will never be able to be a r&b singer or rapper i will never be that but i can be funny as fuck and if i can look forward to sitting across from conan or another late night host and people be like who the hell does this man think he is in this see-through extra squeaky gucci leather jacket that is transparent for some reason and then it says jacket and quotes because Virgil Abloh made it uh like oh like who God. is this man if he if you give us an opportunity with you and a red leather jumpsuit I'm there so like we're all in <laughs> tell us the day tell us the time give us the location drop the pin like <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's uh let's move on to our staff picks it could be any movie at all but uh um yes I'll, I'll let our wonderful guests kick it off but this time we'll start with jared um can we do a documentary of course please okay the documentary that i just saw that i thought was so brilliant was tina on hbo max the tina turner documentary it is yes it is so incredible and i think that if you've seen what's love got to do with it you kind of feel like you know the story but Mm -hmm. like you have no idea to to quote what was that mtv's made or something or (laughs) what was the show you think you know but you have no idea this is the diary of alicia keys yeah yes Um, 
it's just such a fantastic documentary. And like you get to hear Tina tell the story through her lens. Yes. And you also, I mean, it puts in context the film where it happened in her life and how she felt about it. Um, but like the film is such a short part of her life. And, and uh, it, it's just a f- uh, phenomenal documentary. Uh, Tina on HBO Max streaming right now. Nice choice. I will throw out um, the wonderful 2005 classic um, that also stars Della Reese in a great um, side role um, known as Beauty Shop. Um, Because it is amazing and it is a true classic and hilarious. (laughs) um, And (laughs) Queen Latifah deserves Yes. Such a good movie. Indeed. That's Such a, a good call. Movie. Yeah. That's yeah. one that um every single time it's on TV all the time. And yes. every time I'm like, oh, I guess I'm watching this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I didn't I didn't know that was what I was gonna be doing right now, but when, I mean I'm not gonna not watch it. When have you ever laughed at Alfred Woodard that much? Like she's <laughs> so funny in this movie. Like, she's so funny. <laughs> That's I want a t-shirt that says that. When have when, you ever laughed at Alfred Woodard this much? Like she yeah. normally gives us such heavy roles, but in this movie she's so funny. She's yeah. great. Yes. You love it. Drea. Um, I went for um in the line of like a gangster movie that had Ooh, like that. an experimental or uh unique angle in, and that is 1976's Bugsy Malone, uh, directed by Alan Parker and starring Jodie Foster and everyone's favorite punching bag, Scott Bayo. Um, and it is, if you're not familiar with it, it's a musical comedy gangster film where every role is played by like children and teenagers. And so it has the structure of like a classic you know, mobster, mob, mo- what is it? Malls, dames and Get gun malls. Yeah. Yeah. Gun malls, but it's kids. And um, if you don't, I think you should watch it because it's, it is a classic, but if you'd like a smidgen of what that feels like, um, Spike Jones directed a notorious BIG video for sky's the limit in the early aughts and it was also all cast with kids so it's like a young biggie a young puffy a young faith evans oh yes i was just watching that the other day right and so that has very much the energy of bugsy malone uh in like uh you know a four minute span (laughs) yeah i wonder if that's how they pitched um pin 15 if they're like it's like a high school bugsy malone I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the modern Hulu executive is looking for uh, an Alan Parker 1976 <laughs> reference in their pictures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the movie that Drea thought we were watching, which is The Cotton Club Redux. Ooh. <laughs> uh, wow. wow. Which was a, a re-edit that, that Francis Coppola did a couple years ago. Um, it does not fix the problems of The Cotton Club, but it improves the movie a great deal. I will say it's a much better version, particularly because you get a full number featuring Ms. Jack A. Harry um, in like the, the early 80s, you know, the well, well before we got I'm to know in. her on TV. And it is a brilliant comedy number. She is an extraordinary performer. Like I, my my admiration for her grew three sizes that day. She's it, it's, a, it's an amazing moment. And then just in general, it's a gorgeous movie it does get the it does feel like you're in harlem in the 30s rather than on a soundstage there's, there's a lot in that film i think that that that, that it accomplishes what harlemites is 
absolutely shooting for. Again, not a perfect movie. It has its own issues, but certainly worth a look. What is the name Ooh. of the movie? The Cotton Club Redux, R-E-D-U-X. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Uh, well, you know, mine, I'm going to just keep it keep it 1989, and I'm going to have to say Lethal Weapon 2, baby. You know, <laughs> you know that, was, that, that was a movie that I was feeling at the time, and it's still 1989, so both of these actors are, you know, really, uh, I really feel good about them. I'm hoping, you know, they, they all just, you know, continue to say and do things uh, that will not make me regret standing them. Uh, oh, I'm sure. They're definitely. <laughs> I feel yeah, like yeah. did you definitely bring on the hosts of Fanti only so you could recommend a, a Mel Gibson film <laughs> in our staff picks? Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's just some like nice subtextual work you're doing <laughs> or on. what. I think if he was leaning into the anti-blackness uh, <laughs> on the show, you know, they say they say be your own. You know. <laughs> 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 but I have, I have a correction. Sorry, it's it's the Cotton Club Encore. I'm confusing it with Apocalypse Now Redux, which is another mm. Coppola mm. do-over. The Cotton Club Encore is what this version is called. I'm just glad to see Gregory Hines having success outside of the first season of Will and Grace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really what brought him to fame was playing Will's boss. So. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, that too fun. Too, too amazing. And I have to say, Thank you so much, Yay. Travel and Jared, for joining Woo. us. Where can people find you? You can find me at online at the online uh, at Travel Anderson, and we got a little podcast at Fanti Podcast, all the places. Yes, Ooh. you can find me everywhere at Jarrett Hill, uh, JarrettHill.com, you know, Twitter, Instagram. I pretend that I'm on TikTok sometimes, Jarrett.Hill. Uh, so that. So if y'all are listening to this show, you are a supporter of the Max Fun Network. Yes. Ideally, indeed. you are a supporter of Fanti and uh, the Untitled If You Dre and Alonzo Project, but you support the network in general, which is great, and we appreciate it, and we thank you for being here. And if this is the first time you've heard any of us, we hope that you will check out both of these wonderful shows. Yeah, truly. And thank you for your support. It truly, uh, it truly, we appreciate it. We enjoy it. And we enjoy you listening to us. Uh, but with that being said, our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.